0: Welcome to the We Go There podcast. I'm Lexi. And I'm Nikki. And our favorite conversations are when someone starts by saying, this might be TMI, but... Exactly, we go there. Because no topic should be too taboo, especially when it comes to women's health. We ask the questions you may be too afraid to ask and
1: interview the experts to get the answers you need. So we're doing this completely unfiltered. 100%.
0: Okay, let's go there.
1: We are thrilled to welcome back the one and only Dr. Carolyn Best. She's a board-certified obstetrician and urogynecologist. That means she delivers babies and does surgeries to repair prolapse and incontinence. Dr. Best chatted with us about prolapse in season one, and today she's answering all of our questions about urinary tract infections. Let's dive in. Thank you for being here, Doc.
2: No problem. I'm happy to be here and answer some of your questions.
1: So many questions, right, Nikki? Oh my gosh. I actually was blown away way by the number of questions. I put this out on Instagram stories. And it was like, I think 70, almost 75% of people at one point reported that they have had a UTI, mm-hmm. which seems pretty high. So full disclosure, I've never had a UTI. I count myself lucky, but Lexi has a story. She's yeah. raising her hand here. Yeah. And it was bad. It, it got pretty, pretty dicey, like kidney infection situation, Um, so yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about what is a UTI and we'll go from there. Mm -hmm.
2: So the, uh, name UTI, um, affectionately known as UTI means urinary tract infection. And what the medical term actually is, and what we're talking about is an infection and an inflammation of the bladder. So the medical term is acute cystitis, um, cystitis and the cyst word C Y S T refers to the bladder itself. So many medical terms that relate to the bladder have the word cystitis in it. Simple cystitis uh, means uh, an infection and inflammation of the bladder. It becomes more complex or complicated uh, cystitis or urinary tract infection if there are other signs, like you briefly mentioned, that can affect other parts of the urinary tract, like the kidneys specifically. Um, So that's kind of a different thing. The point is that when you have acute simple cystitis involving just the bladder, If it's not treated or if it's laughter for particular people that have particular, you know, differences with their anatomy, um, or if the UTI is not treated, the point is you can become more sick with the complicated version. Um, But acute simple cystitis is uh, an infection of the bladder, um, specifically by bacteria that live in the bowel normally. So the majority of the bacteria that cause cystitis, uh, in an acute setting are E. coli actually. And the word, you know, E. coli itself, I think has been given a bad rap. There's lots of healthy versions of E. coli, the bacteria that live in our colon, but they're not meant to be in our bladder. Um, we used to think of the bladder and the urine as being a sterile environment, meaning there's actually no microorganisms growing in it. Now, not, Without, without getting into the technical details of that, we're beginning to think that there are actually um, um, normal bacteria that live near and around the bladder called the microbiome of the actual urinary cysts. Uh, system. But E. coli is not welcome there. And the way that we get urinary tract infections or cystitis involving the bladder, uh, the vast majority of the cases, 95% of the time, actually E. coli, it's basically able to colonize the area around the urethra and the vaginal opening in women and climb up the urethra into the bladder where it can grow in the urine and create a painful inflammatory response that we Ooh, climbing
0: we, climbing bacteria. climbing up mm. climbing up that the we climbing's really giving us the, I'm sorry.
2: That's mm. the truth. Um, that we affectionately call ourselves
1: uh, having a UTI okay does that mean we always need to wipe sort of front to back is that a mm-hmm. thing is that oh yeah
2: is that a thing great yeah. question so The female urethra, the tube that we pee out of, which is the opening, you know, and the passage from the inside to the outside that the pee travels down, uh, is meant to be flushed regularly. And just simply voiding regularly or peeing regularly allows us to not be less likely to have an infection and flush out the bacteria. Because this isn't really an issue about hygiene or cleanliness. There are bacteria all of our skin, all the time. It's healthy for them to be there, as well as the E-coil living in our gut. Um, But what happens is that the female urethra is only about four or five centimeters long, much shorter of a distance than the male urethra, of course, right, with totally different anatomy. And you have that whole length of the penis there with the urethra that's going to be more protective. So we just don't length, the whole length. So we just don't have that distance uh, from the inside to the outside. And so even when we think we're as clean as possible, if we're having bowel movements with wiping, to answer your question, um, you know, microscopically, there's bacteria that are able to stick around long enough for this to occur. So many people have heard that they're supposed to wipe front to back instead of back to front, just because the location of our anatomy and the proximity of all these openings near each other. Mm-hmm. Um, there is absolutely no science behind wiping front to back. It just makes theoretical sense. So nobody has ever studied that. Uh, to my knowledge, nobody has ever actually done a study, um, which is what we try, of course, to base our medical recommendations on. But it makes sense uh, to do that because you're basically uh, wiping the bacteria away as, rather than towards. So it's the kind of thing where we'll say to patients who are especially who are having recurrent UTIs, which is where we'll go, I'm sure in this conversation, um, you know, it, there's no harm, like it's, it's, it's worth doing if you can do it, uh, it might help. But it's it's not necessarily going to be
0: a deal breaker.
1: I feel so bad for people who have recurrent UTIs. And I was reading yes. in your notes, that's like if you get more than like three or more UTIs a year, that's considered recurrent, right?
2: Well, UTIs are super common in women uh, of all ages, in totally healthy women with nothing else wrong with them. So I say it like that because... It's an anatomical issue, like I mentioned, that makes us more susceptible. Many women I see with recurrent urinary tract infections you know, come, and they're some of the most frustrated patients actually that I meet because it's so uncomfortable, right, Lexi, to have a UTI. I've had a couple myself. Um, but the, you just feel totally desperate. Like you can't, it's a very uncomfortable situation. Um, so the important thing to say to them is there's nothing actually wrong with you. They say to me, yeah, but what's wrong with me? I'm like, well, there's nothing actually wrong with you. You're susceptible, which I'll go into. Um, but you're right. You know, over 60% of women in their lifetime will have a UTI probably more, but we don't have really great numbers on estimating that. So super common and totally healthy women. The majority of people will have one in their lifetime. And then a percentage of those patients will go on to have what we call recurrent urinary tract infections, which is two or more in a six month period or three or more in a year. So that's, sounds like a lot it is because you're very uncomfortable when you have it but actually many of the women I meet have them almost every month kind of thing Mm -hmm. uh which is pretty uncomfortable and infuriating if you can imagine um and having to be on treatment that often as well
0: and so in saying susceptibility like are certain women more susceptible and what what why why I guess is the question yeah
2: so there's a bunch of risk factors for having UTI one of them unfortunately is being female like I mentioned um In terms of just getting a UTI in general, there are certain things that will make you more susceptible. So really basic things like just not drinking enough water. So there isn't a science actually behind drinking eight glasses of water a day. Uh, And I, I tell people that, but there is a little bit of evidence to say that if you drink more water than you did, once you develop a problem, you're more likely to flush the bacteria out. So at least a liter and a half is what you probably need a day to prevent, you know, in some cases of getting a urinary tract infection. So some people don't drink enough water. Some people have a genetic predisposition, like there literally are uh, studies that show that if your mother had more recurrent UTIs, you may be more likely to have them. There are certain women who have um, the cells and the lining of the urethra getting technical are you know easier for the bacteria to climb, if I can say it that way, for them to stick for reasons that we don't completely understand. Um, some women who have medical problems like diabetes or other medical concerns with their immune system are more going to be more susceptible. Um, and some women, you know, may have anatomical or actual physical things about their bladder or the urethra that might make them more susceptible as well. Also, unfortunately, sexual activity. So one of the biggest times that women. Um, When they start to become sexually active, experience UTIs is um, because of the actual intercourse itself or using some kind of contraception that's a barrier contraception like a condom or when people used to use diaphragms involving spermicide. So the issue with spermicide, which is meant to kill the sperm, of course, and to prevent pregnancy, is very irritating to the skin. And it can actually create sort of irritation enough that the bacteria can settle in even more in terms of the E. coli. So that's actually been shown to make you more susceptible to bladder infections, um, as well as menopause. So after menopause, we actually, unfortunately, become even more uh, susceptible to getting UTIs because of our hormonal changes and from a loss of estrogen. It makes us even more susceptible. So that's another reason. Um, why you might be more at risk.
0: So does that mean postpartum women are more susceptible to due to like hormone fluctuations?
2: I don't think it's been really shown postpartum that we're more susceptible. Um, The estrogen, there are things that can go on around uh, delivery uh, that may make you more susceptible. Like if you have a catheter put in during labor, which is very common, Um if you're having a hospital birth, uh, or if you have trouble peeing afterwards during a cesarean section, you have a catheter placed that can make you more susceptible. Um, and, you know, giving birth, having stitches in that area, the whole thing can make you more susceptible. But I, yeah, I, I guess so. Anytime we have a loss of estrogen, um, there's the increased risk a little bit, just because of the Well, the reason is because our vagina normally is populated by healthy bacteria as well, just like our skin and just like our gut. And there are healthy bacteria that live there called lactobacilli. And lactobacilli uh, create a sort of acidic pH that's very uh, hostile to bugs like E. coli. And so it actually, our vagina is actually a line of defense most of the time. So one of the reasons why women after menopause get more urinary tract infections is because that defense is lost when we lose our estrogen, the The pH changes, the lactobacilli are lost and we lose one of our defenses. Um, so the thing about postpartum is, it's a, you know, it's a much shorter duration of time and probably not enough time passes for those bacterial changes to happen to make us more at risk. Than it would in the menopause period and after menopause. Usually it doesn't set in right away. Usually postmenopausal women will present with recurrent infections a few years later after their menopause has already passed. Yeah.
1: What about pregnancy and UTIs? So are you more susceptible to UTIs during pregnancy?
2: I would say yes, but you're also more susceptible to bladder symptoms overall. Uh, we actually check urine um, um, during Um, regular um, routine uh, antenatal care for different reasons. We check your urine at prenatal visits to check for what we call asymptomatic bacteriuria, which is not having symptoms like of a UTI um, necessarily, um, but having bacteria growing in the urine, which can happen as well. Um, And the reason why we test for that is because there are some links between that and pregnancy and birth outcomes. So things like preterm labor, preterm birth, of certain bacteria. So those those need to be treated and that's the reason for the pregnancy and that's the reason why we check it. Um, But I would say, you know, you're more susceptible as well to getting bladder symptoms just because you got that baby squishing your bladder. Mm. That's why, you know, during pregnancy, women have pee more frequently and more urgently and the immune system is also affected. So I think that also makes you more susceptible to urinary tract infections. And some women will have recurrent urinary tract infections just for the duration of their pregnancy um and uh then it kind of resolves afterwards and so that's another frustrating part about you know if it occurs it's frustrating at any time really to be honest but that's another time that
1: it can happen and so when you're sorry you go go like literally have a thousand questions for you so we're all excited (laughs)
0: let's go so when and this is kind of a personal uh, links to my personal journey with with the uti but when you feel anything different within like you know, just different, I guess, that could be leading to a UTI if you've had when you kind of know what that feels like. But if you haven't, when should you seek attention? Because my issue was that I waited it out. I was like, maybe it'll go away. Yes, this is annoying, but sometimes it's passed and it's just kind of fixed itself. And then I waited far too long. I ended up going to San Diego for Christmas. And all of a sudden, it escalated very quickly. And I was in I mean, it was the, it was the most sick I've ever been in my life. Like, and, and most fire oh, no. back, like it was, it was mm. really, really bad. I had a fever, um, for days. It was, yeah, it escalated. Bad. <laughs> so when should women seek attention? That's a
2: really good question. I think it, I would say it depends, um, a little bit. First of all, if this is something that is new to you or something that you haven't experienced before over and over again, um, and women who have experienced over and over again know exactly what I'm talking about, but if you've not had a UTI before and you feel something different, I would definitely get checked right away. Um, and so the symptoms of a urinary tract infection in the simple, you know, uncomplicated sense, which is maybe the way it started for you, are uh, is burning when you pee, we call that dysuria, Uh, urgency, like you got to run to the bathroom or it's just too uncomfortable to wait and a constant feeling of needing to pee. Frequency, you try to pee to make yourself feel better but it doesn't always feel better, it hurts, right? And then it's very common actually to see blood in the urine as well. Um, And it can also be present just microscopically where you don't see it. But those are the most common symptoms. It's not common to have a fever or to have a back pain when you have a simple uh, acute episode of cystitis or UTI, But if you're feeling any of those basic symptoms I just mentioned, it's definitely worth getting checked out if it's not something that happens to you repeatedly. And the reason is because many people will clear it or can. So it is possible to do that. But you don't know, because especially if your body's not been through this before. And if you don't get it treated, then it is definitely possible for it to ascend and basically climb and affect the kidneys. And that's why you get back pain, because your kidneys are located in your back, sort of about halfway, midway down your back. Um, And you can become quite sick from that. Uh, Definitely. That is going to be more characterized by fever and back pain and being generally really sick, vomiting the whole nine yards. And in that instance, you know, you may need actual intravenous antibiotics for it to clear. It's not going to be fixed or treated by the simple antibiotic regimens that we use for UTIs. So if you have the simple system, symptoms of um, burning when you pee, urgency, frequency, and or with blood in your urine, I would encourage someone in that scenario to get their urine checked. Um, the way we check urine is you submit a urine sample, of course, to a lab. And there's two types of ways that we analyze the urine. The first part is called a urinalysis, where we look under the microscope to different components of the urine and chemicals and, se- and cells that are shown to indicate whether there's inflammation or infection going on. And then we culture the urine as well. And the culture is really important uh, for many of us that specialize in this area, because the culture tells us what bacteria it is um, and what antibiotics are going to work. Because unfortunately, one of the consequences of using antibiotics, and this is one of the conditions where we've used a lot of antibiotics over the years, is the uh, resistance of bacteria to antibiotics. And that can definitely happen, especially if you've been on antibiotics in the past or recently. Um, if you don't take the correct antibiotics, the, the the infection wouldn't be cleared. And basically the symptoms would just come back. So that's why someone like myself it would always encourage anyone even with the simple symptoms to get their urine checked. Once you've had one UTI, you're very familiar with what it feels like. And they've actually done studies on uh, on that and for women especially with us having it more often, if you've had one UTI that was correctly diagnosed with a urine sample and a culture and treated, and you get it again, you are more than 90% accurate in your self-diagnosis because it's so characteristic. So in that instance, uh, especially if you had a simple case and you took the antibiotics and it went away, it isn't unreasonable if you really are in a situation where you can't go to a lab or get medical attention to drink lots of water, wait a day maybe but I still wouldn't recommend that I would just say that you know especially if you've had as well a complicated course in the past I would recommend someone like that to get it checked right away uh just to prevent yourself from getting super sick because once you uh get a diagnosis it's so um simple to to treat actually when it's more simple
0: totally it's way better to just get it treated than go the- get it where I was sick for like in a, a week plus yeah, yeah absolutely agree. Thank you, doc. You're welcome. (laughs) So then I feel like there's so many. um, So when I feel sometimes like a urinary tract infection is coming on, I will, or to avoid them, I go to like the classic myth busting. We need to do the myth myth busting Mm -hmm, because I mm -hmm. go to like cranberry pills, cranberry juice, peeing after sex, like, all those. Mm -hmm. So which are true, like we need to kind of get into which are fact, which are fiction.
2: Love it. So we already addressed the wiping, no harm in wiping front to back, probably not going to make a huge difference, but go for it. And the reason why it's probably not going to make a huge difference is because there's bacteria all over the area. You're not going to stop them just because you're wiping in one direction, probably. Um, (laughs) The next thing is uh, peeing after sex. The reason why we people suggest, uh, have suggested in the past, you know, peeing after sex is because, um, the issue with sex is the friction and not to, you know, not to be too graphic and gross, although I know you guys don't mind, is the spreading of the bacteria around, right? And that that's kind of inevitable, even on a microscopic level, no matter how clean you and your partner might be worried about being, it doesn't matter. So, the reason we suggest peeing after is for the exact reason I mentioned, where the simple act of peeing or voiding or emptying your bladder will flush out whatever's there that's already at the opening. And so that's why I don't I also don't think anyone has studied that, but that's we know that that's how the bladder works. Mm-hmm. Whatever reason, don't empty their bladder well. If you walk around with like a half a cup of urine around in your bladder all the time, that is an excellent um, medium for the bacteria to grow. So, by emptying your bladder, keeping it empty, you're gonna pre- you're gonna flush it out and try to prevent the infection from happening. So, cranberries, 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 cranberries.
0: Have you ever had pure cranberry juice? So yeah. sour. Oddly, I like it. Like I, I don't know why. Especially when I was pregnant, I like craved it. Mm
2: yeah and fair enough i mean there's lots of good things in cranberries like let's be honest right vitamin c antioxidants i'm sure there's all kinds of stuff like that but the issue about cranberries and utis is that there's a compound in cranberries i really don't know how they figured this out uh but there's a chemical in cranberries called um proanthocyanins i believe that's what it is it's called or pacs or PACs. they they call it um and the pacs um when they're in your urine like you drink the juice the chemicals from the juice get excreted through your kidneys and filtered through, and then they're in your urine. When those chemicals are in your urine, uh, they actually um, will prevent the E. coli from sticking and climbing. They actually almost not, they don't line the cells, but they kind of stick to the cells of the inside of the urethra on a microscopic level. And they compete for the areas where the E. coli like to stick and prevent them from sticking. So they prevent that mechanism of the UTI happening. The thing about cranberry juice is it's exceptionally sour, like you mentioned. If you love to drink it, that's great. Um, but many people will drink sort of cranberry cocktail or things that have a lot of sugar added in it, which is really not helpful. It's a lot of sugar. You might as well drink like a Coca-Cola classic. I think it's like 30 grams of sugar in a glass. Right? It's like, like an ocean spray, like the cranberry. Ra- yeah, spray. Yeah, well, no. No, refs, no, no brands to mention, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um, and... So the sweetened versions of juice are probably not helpful. But the other thing about cranberries uh, juice, and you can also get cranberry capsules as a supplement from the health food store. And, you know, we, we used to say this, and it's not that we don't say it anymore, but that's the science behind why cranberries probably work. Uh, the studies, when you look at the studies on cranberries for prevention of UTIs, the results are not great. Like, they're not great. And we would have wished for them to be better. But probably the reason why when they analyze all the studies and the results aren't super convincing is because of exactly this issue, different concentrations of cranberries. What were you consuming? What were you drinking? It's hard to compare apples and oranges. And what is the potency of the PACs or packs in the supplement? They're all different. There's no regulation. How do you know what you're getting? So more recently I've actually recommended a product to my patients um, and they're going to love me for mentioning this, my friends at Utiva. but there's a, a product called Utiva, U-T-I-V-A that is made in Canada. And it is literally a concentrated, um, uh, form of the compound of the packs alone. So it is actually, I think it's nine or 10 times more potent than any cranberry straight dried cranberry supplement you can take um and which is much more hopeful in terms of providing enough of the actual active compound to prevent the e coli from sticking so you can get that online or i think even on amazon actually or from pharmacies and that i think i think if you want to reap the benefit of cranberries for prevention of utis i think that's really what you should take i think it's more scientifically based and i think it's going to be more effective
1: I'm just on their website. Cause we're on zoom right now. So while you were talking, I was Googling it. <laughs> yeah. <fun. laughs> okay. So, um, on their website, they also mentioned, and this was one of the questions that we got on stories about something mm. called D manos. Mm. So it looks like Utiva has a couple different options here. So what is D manos?
2: D manos is a sugar, uh, basically molecule that we can consume. Um, and the, mechanism is uh, similar, but different. And that D-minos is another uh, natural occurring compound that we are hoping that will help prevent urinary tract infections by also competitively, you know, sticking to the receptors that the E-coli may want to bind to. Um, that, I think d mannose alone is probably even weaker in its evidence uh, than the pure cranberries, um, than the cranberries, not not the the Pax supplements from Uteva that, like you mentioned that Utiva makes. Um, it probably helps a little bit, but the same thing is that we, there's a lot of things we don't know about D-mannose when we consume it orally. So we don't know how much of it survives through the stomach. We don't know how much of it is actually in the urine once we start to pee it out in our urine. Um, we don't know what concentration we need. We don't know if we're able to achieve that concentration from the supplements that people, different companies make. So it's one of those things where, you know, recurring UTIs are the kind of problem where you kind of just throw everything at it right now. I'm being honest about medical care. Like we just try everything, just try everything because it's a very stubborn and very frustrating problem. Mm. So I think that there's no harm in taking D-menos. I would say we're all different too, right? Like I say to my patients, we're all different. It may work for you. We don't have really super convincing science, but what they're trying to do now is they're doing more randomized trials on d uh in more of a clear concentrations and understanding, you know, what we're actually getting um, and achieving, but also combining them, combining them with the PACs and the PACs um, to see if that works better together. And it probably does. It probably works better together than alone. Uh, each one of them, all of them are just trying to prevent those E. coli from sticking.
1: From climbing. From climbing. climbing,
0: climbing. and <laughs> I'm, I'm never going to forget the climbing. And yeah. what, what can we do to avoid it then? It, we have like, you know, some of these myths that you've mentioned that, oh, wait, did you? Yeah, yeah, you went there. Sorry. I'm like, did we? Yes, we did. Um, but how do we avoid, avoid getting UTIs in the future, I guess?
2: Uh, well, you avoid some of the things that we know for sure can make you more susceptible. Don't, you know, the spermicide and the contraception, um, peeing after intercourse if you if you can, if you want, drinking enough water. I also believe that constipation can make you more susceptible. That has to do as well with maybe not drinking enough water or having a healthy gut microbiome and, and a kind of diet that supports that with fiber intake. Um, and I think, you know, otherwise being vigilant about the symptoms that you're having. Um and getting that checked when you have symptoms, like I said. And then if you have a develop a concern where it happens regularly, consider these natural supplements to try and prevent it from coming back for what, for whatever reason that you are particularly more susceptible. Um and then after menopause, for women after menopause, one of the most powerful ways that we can prevent urinary tract infections. As I mentioned, among women who are low in estrogen, not necessarily postpartum, I wouldn't say in this instance, but truly for men women who are menopausal, meaning it's been over a year since their last period uh, and are having those symptoms. um, We use local estrogen in the vagina uh, supplementation, either creams or tablets, or there's also a ring that can provide estrogen to the walls of the vagina. And that actually is one of the most powerful ways of preventing UTIs for that population of women. Um, so we do that a lot, but that, that would refer to women who are after menopause. Otherwise, um, you know, the rest of us are doing all these things, uh, behaviorally and with natural supplements to try and prevent them from coming.
1: That's huge. I actually was wondering too, I mean, is there any association with UTIs and pelvic floor dysfunction? So, I mean, just
2: absolutely. Oh, okay. Absolutely. No, there is. What, what
1: kind of, what do you mean by pelvic floor dysfunction? I mean, thinking of, I'm thinking of overactive bladder. So, you know, we've got maybe associated with hypertonicity. So a pelvic floor that's too tight, you know, is someone who's coping with overactive bladder or hypertonicity going to be more prone to experiencing UTIs? Um, I, th-
2: I would say that um, it's hard. So I'm hesitating only because of when you mentioned hypertonicity, um, I would say it depends. First of all, for women with other kinds of pelvic floor disorders, like for my patients that I see, as you would know about Nikki, but specifically women who have urinary incontinence and pelvic organ prolapse, there's definitely a higher incidence of urinary tract infections among that population of women. Sometimes that's because of menopause itself, because sometimes they're more likely to occur after menopause. But at other times, there's probably structural reasons uh, why the bacteria are more accessible to the bladder um, in that instance. Women with prolapse, especially, which may lead to answer your question about hypertonicity. uh, Women with prolapse can develop difficulty with emptying their bladder. And like I mentioned, if you're walking around with a little bit of urine in there all the time, if you're unable to empty your bladder well, you're going to be more susceptible to urinary tract infections um, because of uh, providing a location for the bacteria to, to, to grow. Um, So with hypertonicity, um, and, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking, cause I do, I do know women like this. Like I, I'm thinking of women that I've seen with these conditions. I would say if they're having difficulty peeing or emptying, well, they're having symptoms related to their voiding with their hypertonic pelvic floor. I would say, yeah, I would say if they're truly not emptying their bladder, they're going to be a greater risk for that same reason. Um, but yes, many women who have
1: pelvic floor disorders of a variety of reasons will have yeah.
2: uh, more frequent UTIs, and it may also be because of constipation.
1: Okay, and the prolapse piece. So if you've got prolapse, mm-hmm. how if you can just connect the dots a little bit? Yes, more as to I can. How, how would prolapse? Because you know me, I'm obviously interested because I had that slightly low bladder postpartum. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of like, let's talk. Let's go there. Is that going to Like, how does that relate to UTIs? Just the descent of your bladder and leaning into Mm -hmm. the anterior vaginal wall. How does that impact? Does it mean that you can't void properly? You mean you may be able to empty all the way?
2: Some women with prolapse uh, of the anterior wall, which also known as a Mm cystocele, also known affectionately uh, by some people as dropped bladders or fallen bladders, which, you know, I prefer not to call it. But if you're having anterior prolapse of the vagina, what that does... Without having a diagram to explain it, like I do in my office, but when the front wall of the vagina descends, it sort of kinks, if you will, the urethra where you pee out of it changes the direction of the plumbing, so sometimes for some women they're unable they're literally unable to completely empty their bladder because of the prolapse for that reason, so it's like the bladder or the wall of the vagina descends below the bladder neck below where the urethra or the basically the outlet pipe comes from so there's like a little pool right below where the urine can collect and that's going to make them more susceptible to the atis
1: so would leaning forwards On the toilet, because Sinead gave me that tip once. She's like, Yes. Right. So you're, and and I've actually experienced this where you're like, Yes. Oh, wait, I think there's some more. And we know not to push pee. We know not to like push our pee out faster, which I'm often guilty of because I'm like, Mm -hmm. There's a one year old that's going to decimate the house plant. I have to go get him. Um, Yeah. So it's this leaning forwards that can help. Right. That's something
2: I should have mentioned before, but it's a really good point is that there is kind of a, a number of things that I suggest as what we call good bladder habits. Um, and that may apply to somebody with prolapse, but really any woman, really many of us will get busy in our life, forget that we need to pee, ignore the feeling, get busy with a toddler. In my case, it's a puppy and <laughs> for, you know, forget. I <laughs> don't have toddlers anymore, but not go as often as we should. So our bladder is meant to fill and then to empty completely. And as human beings, um, we think that if we can go four or five, six hours as busy women, let's be honest, uh, go that long without peeing, we're really proud of ourselves. But the point is that's bad. And the reason why it's not good is because the bladder over time can lose its ability actually to empty and become like an overstretched elastic band where it doesn't want to contract the way it needs to to empty. And that lack of emptying, is not only very difficult to fix from my point of view, but can make you more susceptible to urinary tract infections. So one element of good bladder habits is to pee really regularly. And I would argue that doing such a thing would help all women prevent themselves from getting UTIs. So our bladders are meant to be emptied every two to three hours with an adequate water intake of at least a liter and a half to three liters of water in a day. And so um, if you're peeing regularly, uh, you should not be in a hurry um you know not push the urine out and force the stream like you're mentioning you're right that can lead to dysfunction of the bladder muscle over time but then what i suggest is people always do you know because you don't know if you're walking around with a trouble emptying your bladder unless you get that checked and i'm saying people don't go run and get that checked unless you have a problem but i'm saying sit down take your time to empty even when you think you're finished lean forward stand up and sit down again And then it's okay to kind of push a little bit and see if you can get more out. But take that time is the point to get everything out. Because if you pee regularly and empty well, then you're not
1: going to get as many infections. Peeing 101. Peeing 101. That right there.
0: I got really passionate
2: about it. That's
1: Yeah, good info. (laughs)
0: That right there is why I have gotten UTIs. I'm sure of it. (laughs) Like, I am the epitome of like, I find it. I don't have to pee annoying to go, in- <laughs> to go pee like it's just annoying it's like oh my gosh now I gotta get up and away from what I'm doing and I'm in it like, I this- know the worst and then of course I rush it of course I rush it so all right no taken because you eyes are so annoying that I actually will take that to heart I will I'm gonna so <laughs> I'm so gonna- glad I'm gonna pee more often I
2: achieved something today Lexi I'm so <laughs> pleased
0: <laughs> just saved me from a lot of annoying UTIs in my future (laughs)
1: yeah oh the leaning forwards is so key too and I love the the standing up and then sitting back down and letting it all go without like let's have
0: a zen moment let's have a zen moment in the bathroom
1: it's a potty break totally we deserve it
0: I like that take it as your moment
1: I love (laughs) it too there's so much here Lexi has to go soon because it's late on a Friday and you're gonna have two screaming children running around in the background Lex do you need to jet and I want me to wrap Mm -hmm. up
0: I need a jet. You guys wrap up. This has okay. been unbelievable. Everyone stay on because we just got that massive tidbit of info. Like who knows what's coming up next? Ciao. Bye. Bye.
1: Okay. That's really, like, so it's so it's real life, right? Like I, we got to schedule yeah. it in, you know, it's all good. Okay. So
2: we're Tell almost me more, more More questions or, or myth more questions. questions I can do. Oh, I love
1: this is so, this is so good. Um, there was a question about, okay. So there's more of a basic question. What about treating it without antibiotics? So as you know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of these home remedies out there. You can Google them. And I understand, especially if you're getting these frequently, you don't really want to be going on antibiotics multiple times a year. So what would you say to someone who wants to try to do a home remedy for UTIs?
2: Um, I would just say to be really careful with that. I, You can get lots of different regimens um, and, you know, to be honest, there's lots of things that are sold for health uh, products that are not regulated or we don't know the concentrations or even the active compounds in them. So, you know, as Lexi's experience went, when you ignore a urinary tract infection, you will regret that sometimes. Um, and the hard part to know is when it's going to get cleared and when it's not. Some women will, who have a history of recurrent urinary tract infections, will drink more water, double up on their natural supplements to that prevent and feel better. And I would say that once you've had a actual diagnosis made, and um, you know, you're being monitored by a doctor, that would be the only instance where I would suggest doing that. Um, Only because I think it's safer to at least get it checked. Um, There are other conditions. I know people asked about this as well that can mimic the symptoms of a urinary tract infection. And so sometimes it's worth also getting your urine checked just to try and understand what's really going on with yourself. Um, I wouldn't ever suggest any particular natural or non-antibiotic regimen when you have UTI symptoms, unless you've been supervised by a doctor and been clarified what you're actually going through. When you have a urine culture done and it's found to be positive, there are a bunch of different antibiotics that we will use. There are some that are considered more first line um and then others based on the amount of resistance of those bacteria in the community one thing I want to clarify is that a lot of women say to me well I got a UTI and the doctor gave me macrobid this is a really common one and it just doesn't work for me like I'm resistant to it and I'll correct them and say no you're not resistant to it we aren't resistant to antibiotics the bacteria are resistant to the antibiotics and the only way you're gonna know whether an antibiotic is gonna work for your particular UTI is to get a urine culture done. Um, because like I said, they can actually analyze and tell you which, which, one, which antibiotics the bacteria in your infection are resistant to or not. So there are different antibiotic regimens and that's really the mainstay of treatment uh, for a UTI. I wouldn't suggest anything else. There are some antibiotics that are a single dose. There are some that are three days, five days or seven days. Depends on your allergies and on your health and the actual culture results. I have lots of women that have recurrent urinary tract infections with a diagnosis that's been established, and I will actually give them a prescription for something that they can use just in case, because you know what, it's going to happen on a Sunday morning when you're at the cottage or when you're on an airplane, if we're ever allowed to fly again, or something (laughs) like that, and you're not going to be in a situation necessarily where you can get yourself checked, and I totally get that. So in that instance, you know, you may want to drink more water and try and get it better on your own. But you have the antibiotics just in case it becomes really uncomfortable. But I always say to them, if you can try to at least drop off a urine sample for me anywhere uh, before you take them, that's ideal. Because then I'm going to be able to make sure that it's looked after properly with the antibiotic that I gave you based on the culture.
1: You're an amazing doc that you do that for people. That's awesome. It's very uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, I I have heard I mean, I've had other things, but I haven't experienced it myself. So this is, this is, uh, yeah. And I, but I, our poll was like 75% of people have had yes. one. So this is a big, like, this is a huge thing. It's unfortunately common. There was one question that I wanted to touch on, and it's essentially painful bladder syndrome, interstitial yep. cystitis. So can you, I mean, maybe this needs to be a whole separate episode, but maybe mm-hmm. touch on what that is, and then if it's at all connected to UTIs.
2: So the way that uh, painful bladder so is syndrome is connected to UTIs is the similarity in some of the symptoms. Um, and also, I would say the onset. So interstitial cystitis is a particular uh, condition that we try not to call it that anymore, because it refers to a particular inflammation of the bladder um, based on findings when you have a cystoscopy or a procedure that looks inside the bladder and not everybody that has the symptoms, uh, will have those findings. So we've over time created a more of an umbrella term to include people. There's just so many women that can suffer from painful bladder syndrome, which is what we call it now. And so painful bladder syndrome is characterized by bladder pain or pain in the lower uh, pelvic region when the bladder is filled with urine, like having urine in the bladder typically is painful. Um, And there's a variety of other ways that the pain can present, but the point is it's, it's hallmark is pain at some point. Usually that pain is improved when you pee. But the idea is that, you know, that can mimic very much like a urinary tract infection. And many people are wrongly diagnosed for years as having UTIs and being exposed to antibiotics actually over and over again when they don't actually have infections. So that's another reason. Yeah. So that's another reason why I suggest people get checked
0: because you also
2: want to prevent yourself from taking antibiotics if you don't actually need them. So if I see a negative urine culture, I'll say it's not an infection. So let's try and come up with some other strategies. So painful bladder syndrome is a whole other topic, like you mentioned, maybe we have to have another episode on that. Um, But that's the relationship is that there is um, painful bladder syndrome is, is one of the conditions where, Um, there's misconceptions about it. There's sometimes some lack of knowledge about it. Um, and so women are presumed to have a UTI just because they're so common in women and they're so, um, commonly self-diagnosed, like I mentioned. Um, and the easiest thing is to send people with antibiotics, um, I have met women who had a very severe uh, urinary tract infection or true, you know, culture proven UTI and ended up with ongoing symptoms afterwards that mimicked it, that ended up eventually being then called painful bladder syndrome. So I think that there is a link there as well. I think there's a setup of an inflammation that can persist um, and then become sort of its own thing, unfortunately. Um, So that's another link that I see between them but they're different things. And that's another reason to get your urine checked to, to see, do I really have an infection or not? If they start to happen uh, a lot.
1: I would be curious to know the percentage of people. I mean, obviously you would be guessing, but how many people are potentially with, if they're misdiagnosing, whether it's themselves or someone else is saying, oh yeah, it must just be a UTI. And if they don't get the bladder, that, that urine culture, then, you know, it might actually be what you're saying is, painful bladder syndrome, which is more Mm -hmm. just generalized inflammation without the infection. Right? Yes, exactly. So that I understand. Okay.
2: No, it's totally, totally great. I mean, sometimes there is actual inflammation. Sometimes there's inflammatory findings on the urine samples or on actual, you know, procedures and cystoscopy on people with painful bladder syndrome, but sometimes there isn't inflammation. Sometimes it's actually a pain condition that's a oh. condition of the nerve of the nerves itself and is a chronic pain scenario oh, so wow. the point is that there are other painful conditions that can get mistaken as UTIs okay. and that's another reason to get your urine checked um, it's treated in a totally different way, different way yeah. um, and and I mean then there's downsides of taking antibiotics as well right like we haven't even touched on that but one of the da- all the downsides and the collateral damage that come from taking urinary from taking antibiotics repeatedly have to do with other healthy populations of bacteria in our body. So we're learning more and more about the gut microbiome and uh, whether it exists in other areas as well of the body, like the urinary tract. But we know that the bacteria in our gut are super important for our overall health, well-being and immune system. And when we take antibiotics, the antibiotics don't discriminate between the good and the bad bacteria. They kill the E. coli in the urine, but they may uh, kill effectively a lot of the healthy bacteria in our gut as well. So you can actually get inflammation and bowel symptoms, diarrhea and symptoms like that as a result. Um, you can also get yeast infections. So the antibiotics can kill some of the lactobacilli and the healthy bacteria that live in the vagina that allow the yeast to then overgrow. And that's how you get a yeast infection. So this is the reason why people are motivated to not take antibiotics or why we're always looking for ways to prevent the infections from coming. But I would say once you actually have the symptoms, it's probably important to get yourself checked and treated, as I mentioned, to prevent yourself from becoming more sick.
1: And I one of the things I love about you, and for those of those people listening who don't know, we have got an amazing cookbook called The Spread the Health Cookbook. You're a fantastic vegan chef, plant-based. I mean, and this might be something that people don't know about you and might be surprised to know about you. But one of the things that resonated with me when I asked you one time, I said, Doc, what is the piece of advice that you feel like you repeat all the time to your patients? And you said, 30 grams of fiber a day. And that was not an answer that I was expecting you to give me. And I'm hearing how essentially, you know, these, these plant-based foods, this, this diet that's high in fiber, that's high in really good nutrients in your medical expert opinion can actually mitigate the risks of some of these conditions.
2: You know, there's not that many, um, You know, I, what I'm, what do I, where do I even go with that? I, I I totally, uh, uh, I agree. Um, You know, I have a very narrow scope of practice. And when you see the same thing over and over again, you start to think to yourself, like, why is this happening? Or when you see conditions that are very, very common, you think, you know, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing as a society that makes us so much more susceptible to some diseases? And I truly don't know. And I don't actually think that it has been shown at all to come put my science, you know, non-vegan hat back on, that there's any link really to diet and UTIs. I would love that to be the case because I think that, you know, what we're learning about the gut microbiome is so fascinating, but that's why I suggest fiber. I suggest at least 30 to 40 grams of fiber a day, uh, which is really basically as many fruits and vegetables as you can get to your body. That's the source plant-based fiber that helps our bowels function. and keeps our gut, um, microbiome healthy, uh, is important for so many reasons and it helps to prevent prolapse and other pelvic floor disorders, the avoidance of constipation, which I think is also rampant in our society. The issue of constipation, I saw a post on Instagram. I think I posted it myself. Only one in 10 adults actually eats the recommended amount of fruits and vegetables. Um, oh yeah. Uh, and it doesn't shock me at all. Um, but fiber is what allows your gut health to return as well after being on antibiotics uh, and to generally maintain it. People love probiotics. That's another whole topic. Mm -hmm. Some people I'm sure may have asked if probiotics are helpful in the prevention of urinary tract infections. And I would say no, Um, not that we know of, but probably because it's a much more complex issue. But I would say the time to take probiotics is maybe right after you've been on antibiotics. It's not going to be a long-term solution, but it may help with repopulating your gut. There's still a little bit of evidence about that uh, to get the healthy bacteria back. But so will a diet rich in plants. So will a diet rich in vegetables. That's what it's for, is to keep your gut healthy, especially for people that have to be on antibiotics over and over again. So that's really why I care about that and why it has to matter. What we put into our bodies, it has to matter uh one cool thing I should mention about urinary tract infections that they're working on um, and we'll see the way it works uh, if it works and rolls forward is that they're actually working on vaccines so this is a particularly um, frustrating problem as I mentioned for us in medicine and also for women and our patients and they are and for some time they've been working on vaccines against the Um, pathogenic E. coli that can cause urinary tract infections and various components of it to heighten our immune response and help prevent the infections from occurring. So that's exciting. Um, Yeah, but I think uh, and we'll see what happens with that. Um, And that's, that would be major in prevention. And we've learned lots of things about vaccines with coronavirus. But it works a different, it works a different way. Um, But that would be the ultimate, right, in terms of prevention of infection. But so would a lifestyle that supports a healthy gut, I think, in the long run going to be very hard to show that and whether it helps uh, with uh, urinary tract infections, but it'll certainly help keep you healthy if you have to be on antibiotics.
1: Yeah, and not to strain, right? No, not you don't to want strain. To be, we don't want to be getting prolapse surgery. We want to stay out of the OR. So yeah, I <laughs> would
2: mention that. Yeah, I would mention that for women. Uh, exactly. Avoidance of constipation, drinking lots of water, having good bladder habits, regularly, um, looking at supplements to prevent urinary tract infections, getting it checked if you have symptoms and not necessarily putting it off. Um, and then, you know, ultimately there are women who have to go on regular preventative antibiotic regimens sometimes. And we always discuss the pros and cons of that with discussion about the gut microbiome and also bacterial resistance, like I mentioned. But for some women, they have to do that. So they have to do that. So therefore we should all be eating as many vegetables as possible.
1: There you go. I love it. (laughs) I'll put the link. I'll just put the link in the show notes to spread the help. You are a wealth of knowledge. I just want to paint a picture here. We're going to wrap up, but you're, you've just finished procedures. You're doing this from the hospital in your scrubs with your mask on, on your phone. You are a rock star on a Friday afternoon. So thank you for taking the time out of your very busy life and schedule to, to chat with us today. You're the best.
2: Thank you so much for having me. I'm always happy to
0: do it. we will see you soon. Bye. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned
1: for our next episode. And in the meantime, follow us on Instagram at WeGoTherePodcast and check out WeGoTherePodcast.com for more info.